This is Side 2. Coming up. Controversial Football Sectarianism Act expected to be shown red card in Holyrood vote. Student flats swamping Glasgow. Victoria's secret to opening Glasgow city centre. Alex Salmon says he can say what he likes on Russia Today. Violent Lanarkshire care home worker who scrounged for cash off OAPs struck off. Calls to ban diesel and petrol cars by 2030. Former Largs Academy teacher could be struck off after taking girl pupil to pub trip. Drumchapel's Winterfest in battle for future after thugs threw explosive last year. Elspeth Kerr has no regrets over cancer beating breast op. I Write Book Festival welcomes 200 authors to Glasgow over 10 days. Kilmarnock won, Aberdeen won. Aberdeen win 3-2 on penalties. Derek McInnes's men edge out Killy and are back at Hamden. Scotland hero James McFadden retires from playing to focus on the new role as coach within the national team. The Old Firm. Criminal probe launched as sectarian flyer showing abuse against Fenians surfaces before match. Former Celtic defender believes win over Ibrox will further demoralise Rangers. The Evening Times, on Thursday the 15th of March 2018, News Section. Controversial Football Sectarianism Act expected to be shown red card in Holyrood vote. This article unattributed. A controversial law aimed at tackling sectarian behaviour at football is expected to be repealed in a vote at Holyrood. Labour MSP James Kelly's bill to scrap the Offensive Behaviour at Football and Threatening Communications Scotland Act is expected to be passed in its final stage at the Scottish Parliament. The Act was introduced by the majority SNP government in the last Parliament, but all opposition parties want to ditch it. The legislation has faced criticism from legal experts, fans groups and equalities organisations who have argued it's unworkable and unfairly targets football fans. The Scottish Government has said it will respect the will of Parliament, but that repeal of the Act would mark a sad day for Scotland. Speaking in advance of the debate and vote, Mr Kelly said the legislation had been completely discredited. He said, The law was a simplistic attempt to solve a complex problem. Sectarianism is a problem in Scotland that goes back generations. It can't be solved in 90 minutes on a Saturday. The way to fix it is in classrooms and community groups. Instead, spending on anti-sectarianism projects has plummeted. The SNP chased some headlines, passed a bad law and pretended that the problem was fixed. That's not good enough and it's time to get serious about this. Scottish Green MSPs have urged football clubs to consider the strict liability rules which apply elsewhere in Europe, under which clubs can be punished for the conduct of fans. Justice spokesman John Finney said, It's clearer than ever that the Act has not been an effective way to address sectarianism. Most of the activities it aimed to tackle are already covered by other legislation. Football clearly has a particular issue with sectarianism and clubs must look again at the strict liability model which applies elsewhere in Europe. If clubs face losing points over sectarian incidents, they're more likely to help deter fans from undermining their teams. Minister for Community Safety Annabelle Ewing added, I continue to believe that the repeal of the Offensive Behaviour at Football and Threatening Communications Act is foolhardy and sends out the wrong signal, particularly following a number of incidents over the course of this season where the shadow of sectarianism has again been cast over our national game. 
The Act is supported by a number of victims and equality groups, and research published by YouthLink Scotland and ScotSense Social Research into sectarian language used on social media this week has again confirmed the direct link between sectarianism and football in this country. Repeal will compromise the ability of police and prosecutors to charge people for unacceptable behaviour, and those supporting repeal have failed to recognise how removing legislation designed to protect vulnerable and minority communities will have a negative impact. This article was unattributed. This article from the Evening Times News on the 15th of March 2018. Student flats swamping Glasgow. This article by political correspondent Stuart Patterson. Private student flat developments are swamping Glasgow and preventing the building of social housing, an MSP has said. Sandra White, Kelvin SNP MSP said, housing associations are priced out of the market as property developers snap up plots and build tower blocks for international students paying premium rents. Councillors in Glasgow have called for a fresh report to review the provision of student accommodation in the city. Several large developments in the West End and city centre have met opposition from local people and there is a concern there are too many blocks dominating communities. The councillors on the Neighbourhoods and Housing Committee said a report prepared by property agents Savills, which encouraged more purpose-built student accommodation, was not sufficient enough to inform future decisions. The latest development causing controversy at High Street will see the demolition of the city's oldest pub, the Old College Bar. Miss White said 75% of the blocks were in her constituency. She said they are absolutely swamping the area. Housing associations are desperate to build, but all the land has been bought up by developers. They have been priced out of the market and they'll be able to build decent social housing for families. This is skewing the whole area. The council has said they want to ensure there is a balance of student accommodation and housing for families across the city. Greg Hepburn, committee convener, said purpose-built student accommodation are integral to the city's educational offer. But we need to look at the balance amid increasing public concerns about density and impact on communities, other types of housing tenure, the city's built heritage and concentration in certain areas. This is why the committee has asked for the new report on the purpose-built student accommodation sector of supplement what already exists in a local development plan. The Savills report said that purpose-built student accommodation was increasingly recognised as a prepared model for students. However, the blocks, often with hundreds of bedrooms, are seen by some to be the expense of traditional communities. Mr Hepburn said the guidance needs strengthened. He said it needs to take on board a broader range of views, including those of universities and students themselves, community voices and expert opinions. There are developments with the capacity for another 6,000 bedrooms being planned in Glasgow to meet demand. Christy Mairns, Anderston City Green Councillor, said concerns need to be addressed. She said, we don't want to just rubber stamp more of the same. There are issues about the sustainability of accommodation and about people being pushed out of the area. This article by political correspondent Stuart Patterson. This article from the Evening Times News on the 15th of March 2018. This article from the 14th of March. Victoria's secret to opening Glasgow city centre. This article by reporter Stacey Mullen. US lingerie brand Victoria's Secret has been given the go-ahead to open up in the heart of Glasgow city centre. The firm will open its first store in the city 
at 220 Buchanan Street in a unit which was previously occupied by H&M. Although the retailer has a unit at Glasgow Airport selling a small selection of items, the store will be a city first and it will sit in the heart of the plush style mile. The plans show what the shop frontage could look like. The plans were initially submitted last July to Glasgow City Council with Victoria's Secret asking for permission to make alterations to the front of the shop and to display illuminated and unilluminated signage. Those plans were approved this week, subject to conditions that now work expected to begin to bring a global brand to Buchanan Street. Victoria's Secret was founded by Roy Raymond and his wife, Gaia, in San Francisco, California, on June 12, 1977, and since then, the brand has become a global phenomenon. Their appeal has grown thanks to the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show, which showcases some of the world's best-known models who earn the honour of becoming a brand angel. Famous faces including Tyra Banks, Kendall Jenner, above Giselle Bundchen and Miranda Kerr have all walked in the shows and some of the models even appeared at store openings. This article by reporter Stacey Mullen. The Evening Times on Thursday the 15th of March 2018. News section. Alex Salmon says he can say what he likes on Russia Today. This article by political correspondent Stuart Patterson. Alex Salmon said there is no interference in his TV show from the Kremlin. The former First Minister spoke to defend his hosting of a show on Russian state-backed channel Russia Today. He has been criticised for his association with the channel in the wake of the attempted killing of former agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia in Salisbury. Mr Salmon said the UK government was entitled to take action over the attack, however he said it must pursue the case internationally by producing its evidence to which the Russian state must respond. But he said conclusive evidence was needed to succeed in the courts domestic and international. Mr Salmon defended his editorial independence in hosting the show, which also features fellow former SNP MP Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh. He said, I host this independent TV show within the laws which normally pertain in this country. I can say what I like about any issue. He said no guests on the show have complained about being silenced because he said none have. He dismissed suggestions of interference from the Russian authorities in a statement at the end of the latest show to be broadcast. Mr Salmon said, I hold no brief for the Kremlin, nor am I required to. He also defended the station in the face of claims it is a mouthpiece for the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin's regime. He added, by definition, RT is not a propaganda station because it is regulated by Ofcom. He said there had been breaches of the code, but that other broadcasters, including Sky and the BBC, were also guilty in that respect. Mr Salmon said calls to close down RT were wrong, and that liberal democracies should not sacrifice their dearest held values of freedom of speech. Mr Salmon was criticised this week by Lib Dem MSP Alex Cole Hamilton, who said he was a useful idiot for the Kremlin. Glasgow North East MP Paul Sweeney urged fellow MPs to boycott RT and not appear on any of their shows. Mr Salmon said, don't shut down TV stations because your standpoint is so uncertain that you must exclude other perspectives. This article was by political correspondent Stuart Patterson. This article from the Evening Times News on the 15th of March 2018. Violent Lanarkshire care home worker who scrounged for cash off OAPs struck off. It's exclusive by Caroline Wilson. 
a violent care home support worker who caged cash of vulnerable OAPs and people with disabilities has been struck off. An inquiry was told Jose Jack repeatedly harassed people under his care for money while employed at Victoria House Care Home in Blantyre, South Lanarkshire. A hearing of the Scottish Social Services Council, SSSC, found he had abused the power and trust placed on him as a social service worker and had placed vulnerable people at risk of emotional and financial harm. The council said service users have the right to be treated with dignity and respect and protected from harm by social service workers in whom they and the public have placed their trust. It is behaviour which is incompatible with registration in the longer term. In another incident at With the Home, Mr Jack grabbed the arm of someone known to him, pulled them off a couch and pinned them on the floor before taking their ring and mobile phone. He also took the individual's bank card and car without permission. Mr Jack was convicted of behaving in a threatening, abusive and aggressive manner on July 7, 2016 at Hamilton Sheriff Court. The SSSC said the incident gave rise to serious concerns that he might behave in a similar way with vulnerable care home residents and was incompatible with remaining on the register of a social service worker. The hearing panel said grabbing Zizi's arm, pulling Zizi to the floor and pinning Zizi to the floor represented a loss of self-control and aggressive and violent behaviour which is incompatible with the conduct expected of a registered worker. This behaviour was likely to cause physical harm to ZZ. This loss of control gives rise to serious concerns about your attitude and ability to control your temper when faced with a challenging situation. The support worker was found to have breached 11 parts of the Code of Practice for social service workers. Another charge states that he failed to stop when the vehicle he was driving collided with another vehicle on May 28, 2016 and also drove under the influence of alcohol and drugs. Mr Jack has lost his registration as a support worker following a hearing by the SSSC which said he had failed to engage with the disciplinary process and had failed to discuss a criminal conviction. The incidents happened while Mr Jack was employed as a support worker from April 2016 to August 2016. This exclusive by Caroline Wilson. The Evening Times. On Thursday the 15th of March 2018. News section. Calls to ban diesel and petrol cars by 2030. This article unattributed. Environmental groups have welcomed calls for the ban on new petrol and diesel cars to be brought forward. Rosie Rogers, clean air campaigner at Greenpeace, called on the ban to be implemented by 2030 at the latest. She said, We now know diesel is toxic, so there can be no more excuses and no more delays. The government must prioritise public health and bring forward its phase-out date by at least 10 years. Other countries have managed it and people who live in the UK deserve clean air just as much. Simon Alcock, head of public affairs at environmental law firm Client Earth, which has successfully challenged the government's air quality plans in the courts, claims that the committees have produced a landmark report. He said requiring car manufacturers to contribute to a clean air fund is a perfect response to help consumers who were misled into thinking their vehicles were cleaner than they actually are. Martin Tett, environment spokesman at the local government association, said 
The 2040 target set by the government for the end of the sale of conventionally fueled vehicles is too far away to tackle a public health problem that's shortening lives now. It cannot overlook the immediate measures that could have drastic improvements on public health in areas where air quality problems are at their most severe. Alison Cook, Director of Policy at the British Lung Foundation, said diesel is an invisible danger and the sooner these vehicles are off our roads, the healthier we will all be. Nicholas Lays, the RAC Head of Roads Policy, urged the government to do more to encourage drivers to choose cleaner vehicles. Now is the time to ask whether incentives such as the plug-in grant scheme are doing enough to change drivers' buying habits, he said. The government may need to be far more radical. This article was unattributed. This article from the Evening Times News on the 15th of March 2018. Former Largs Academy teacher could be struck off after taking girl pupil to pub trip. This article was unattributed. A former Largs Academy teacher could be struck off after being accused of an alleged inappropriate relationship with a pupil. Gavin Dunsmuir, who no longer works at the secondary school, is also accused of attending a public house with a pupil and taking her into the home of a colleague. Their alleged relationship developed between March and August 2015, and now Mr Dunsmuir's fitness to teach is being scrutinised by the General Teaching Council for Scotland. The pupil in question, who is now 20, is believed to have left the school three years ago. A full hearing opened last week at the General Teaching Council. Mr Dunsmuir, an RE teacher, did not attend or send any legal representative on his behalf, giving evidence. Lindsay Muir, a PE teacher at Largs Academy, told the panel that she encountered Mr Dunsmuir and a group of pupils at a public house in Largs. She said Gavin came into the pub with pupil A and several other pupils. There were four or five in total. Their body language was close turning to each other. It was in the summer of 2015, so she would have been at the end of sixth year. A fellow teacher said she spotted the pupil in Mr Dunmuir's classroom on a daily basis. She was a sensitive girl with a heart of gold. She lacked self-confidence. Miss Muir, who stated she recalled seeing the pupil alone in Mr Dunmuir's classroom on a regular basis, added, I asked Gavin about pupil A and he told me he was a mentor to her. Also providing evidence at the hearing, was Alan Leesman, a chemistry teacher at the school. He said, I felt pupil A and Gavin developed a relationship. I saw them on exam day. She had been at his house, but I didn't ask why. I recall him saying the pupil went as a surprised trip for his daughter. Pupil A got on well with his daughter. He said he was going to use her as a babysitter. I recall saying to Gavin not to get too close. Gavin said she had issues and he knew not to get too close. I asked Gavin if anything was going on and he said no. Mr Leesman also told the panel that Dunsmuir's wife had told him the teacher and pupil were having a relationship. The hearing had been adjourned and will reconvene at a later date. This article was unattributed. Remember, you no longer need to receive a weekly digest service on tape, but can in fact listen to more daily content online via www.qandreview.com slash free podcasts, accessible on your computer or mobile device. The Evening Times, on Thursday the 15th of March 2018, News Section. Drumchapel's Winterfest in battle for future after thugs threw explosive last year. This article by Tristan Stewart-Robertson. 
The future of Drumchapel's Winterfest celebrations will be decided in the coming weeks, as community leaders plead with residents to work to combat trouble. While the 2017 festivities on November the 5th went out any trouble, there were dozens of incidents afterwards and in nearby areas, with explosives launched at members of the public, homes and emergency services. Councillor Paul Carey and Bailey Malcolm Balfour have been working with police and others to ensure the 2018 party still goes ahead, warning of a return to the days with dozens of bonfires being combated by police and fire officers. They have previously pitched floodlighting and fencing off open ground areas to prevent youths congregating and causing trouble, while thousands attend the main event. In total, across the past 10 years of Winterfest, more than 100,000 people have attended. But after a recent meeting, Drumchapel Community Council warned Winterfest may still be cancelled and hit out at those who protected the youths causing trouble. Writing on Facebook, they stated... November was particularly disturbing due to a number of persons using illegal fireworks and directing them towards individuals, property and emergency service staff. It would appear that two cars were noted to have been distributing these to youths within the community. An investigation took place and the community were asked to assist in providing information leading to the identification of any of those involved. Disappointingly, no new information was provided. But some residents responding to the Facebook post said Winterfest should be cancelled. One said, I'm 100% for it being cancelled. Another said, I live on Abbots Hall Avenue and these wee idiots aim fireworks at my kids and it was terrifying. Even if it does go ahead, I won't be taking my kids. This article was by Tristan Stewart-Robertson. This article from the Evening Times News on the 15th of March 2018. Glasgow councillor Elspeth Kerr has no regrets over contributing breast op. This exclusive by Caroline Wilson. The Glasgow Councillor says she has no regrets after undergoing a double mastectomy at 40 because it gives her a chance to be here for my children as long as possible. Elspeth Kerr was told in her 30s that since she had a 90% chance of developing breast cancer because her granny died of the disease at 49 and her auntie was also diagnosed in her 40s. Elspeth, who is an SNP councillor for Drum Chapel Anisland, has now radically reduced the risk to just 5% by undergoing the surgery after testing positive for the BRCA1 gene. Her daughters, Alexis, 21, and Bryony, 19, are also at risk of having the gene. While doctors recommend women wait until they have completed their families before having the test, Bryony has said she would like to be tested sooner rather than later, and Elspeth, 45, says she will support her. Elspeth said, my breasts don't define me as a woman, they are just a part of my body. They told me, if you have got breasts, you have a 90% chance of getting breast cancer. I wouldn't exactly say it was an easy decision, but if you are told that keeping a part of your body might risk your life, then why would you keep it? It's a part that can be removed, it's not like an arm and a leg. My daughters have both said, if they have to have a double mastectomy when they are older, they will do it. It is a worry, but at the same time, I am still alive. Elspeth's two older daughters do not have the faulty gene, but her younger sister does, though she has not had surgery yet at 40. Actress Angelina Jolie famously underwent a preventative double mastectomy at the age of 38 after doctors discovered she carried the BRCA1 and had roughly an 87% risk of contracting breast cancer. 
Elspeth also had surgery to remove her ovaries when she was 38, plunging her into menopause and says she sought support from a Glasgow charity, COPE, prior to the surgery to cope with emotional aspects. Elspeth, who lives in Drumchapel, said, I had actually made the decision to do this before I came out that Angelina Jolie was doing it, so I joked that she copied me. I have two girls, so there is potential that they might have it too. My maternal gran, May, died at the age of 49 of breast cancer. My mum's sister, Carol Withers, got breast cancer about 15 years ago and is doing well. After that, my mum's two sisters decided they would get tested for the BRCA2 gene, which came back positive. I was 36 when I got tested for it. The advice I was given was to have my ovaries out as soon as possible, so I got that done when I was 38. The ovaries coming out meant that they weren't supplying oestrogen to the breasts, which is what feeds the cancer. I am diabetic, which for me made the decision easier. I had already been sterilised because I had two healthy kids and considered myself incredibly lucky. Many type 1 diabetics don't get that. I just couldn't stand the thought of getting cancer and to deal with diabetes at the same time. Although Elspeth has prosthetics, she says she really wears them and opted not to have reconstructive surgery. She said if I wear them on a night out, I usually end up taking them, the prosthetics, out and passing them around. There are times I get down about it, but mostly it doesn't bother me at all. My husband, Ian, has been absolutely brilliant and supportive though, all of it. I count myself very lucky that I have been able to have this choice. www.cope-scotland.org This exclusive by Carolyn Wilson The Evening Times on Thursday the 15th of March 2018 News Section I Write Book Festival welcomes 200 authors to Glasgow over 10 days. This article unattributed. More than 200 authors covering topics such as politics, mental health and music are taking part in this year's I Write Festival. Glasgow's Book Festival is being held in seven venues across the city this year, playing host to best-selling authors, performances, masterclasses, a gig and a film screening. Popular authors Maggie O'Farrell, Val McDermott and Chris Brookmeyer are among some of the names in this 10-day lineup, which gets underway on Thursday. O'Farrell will discuss her new book, I Am, I Am, I Am, a memoir of her life in near-death experiences. McDermott and Brookmeyer are taking part in a gig by the fun-loving crime writers, who promise to cover songs with a criminal flavour. Broadcaster Evan Davis will discuss his book on post-truth, Brett Anderson will chart his journey to becoming the founder and lead singer of Suede, and flying Scotsman cyclist Graham Aubrey will discuss his childhood poverty, battles with depression, and the publication of a new edition of his book, The Aubrey Way. From the world of politics, Baroness Saida Warsi, who became the UK's first Muslim cabinet minister, and Liberal Democrat deputy leader Joe Swinson will discuss their books, The Enemy Within and Equal Power, respectively. Composer Sir James Macmillan, lawyer Amar Anwar and Scotland's Makar Jackie Kay will be among those sharing thoughts on the books that have inspired them throughout their lives. Meanwhile, an examination of classic 1970s film Get Carter and the story of the writer of the book it is based on will be held at the Glasgow Film Theatre. 
Other venues for the 2018 festival include the Mitchell Library, Glasgow Royal Concert Hall, the Centre for Contemporary Arts, City Halls, Glasgow University and Tramway. Festival programmer Bob McDevitt said, From keynote lectures to political panels, illustrated talks to confessional memoirs, award-winning poetry to best-selling novels, I Write will be reflecting our lives, responding to topical concerns and hopefully offering some answers to the big questions of our age. Book lovers of Glasgow can look forward to the biggest festival yet. Jenny Niven of arts funding body Creative Scotland added, We're very excited to see an expansion of the 2018 programme to new venues across the city, bringing literature to life throughout Glasgow. This article was unattributed. The Evening Times On Wednesday, the 14th of March 2018 Sports Section Kilmarnock 1, Aberdeen 1 Aberdeen win 3-2 on penalties Derek McInnes' men edge out Killy and are back at Hamden. This article by Neil Cameron, originally published on Tuesday, the 13th of March 2018. Aberdeen reached their sixth semi-final in five years under Derek McInnes after a match which needed a penalty shootout to find a winner following over 210 minutes of football. Kilmarnock's Eamon Brophy, Gray Taylor and crucially Greg Kitley missed from the spot to hand their visitors another crack at the Scottish Cup. Steve Clark has still done a miraculous job in Ayrshire, but Hamden will have to wait for another season. Aberdeen face Motherwell next month, and a campaign which threatened to fizzle out for the Pitaudry men may well have a happy ending after all. Rugby Park was for too long a soulless ground with empty seats way outnumbering their supporters. Not tonight. All four stands were open, and as big a home support the stadium has housed for years, even for games involving the old firm, made some amount of noise, backed up by a large turnout for the visitors. The atmosphere crackled, but it took a while for the game to match the excitement in the crowd. With so much at stake, the cautious start made by both teams was understandable. The first move, worthy of the name, came from Aberdeen after a quarter of an hour. The ball was fed wide to Gary Mackay-Steven. He aimed and found Ryan Christie at the back post. His knockdown was for Adam Rooney, who scored plenty from such situations, but this time sent his shot well over. And then, on 22 minutes, and from nothing, things got a touch feisty. Mackay Stevens' attempt to get past Rory McKenzie on the touchline did not go to plan. The Aberdeen winger ended on the floor with the ball between his feet, which McKenzie, with some force, tried to retrieve. Players from both sides got involved and, for a few seconds, it was a free-for-all. Referee Stephen McLean, after consulting with his assistant, decided that only McKenzie was due booking. He would have needed an eye in the back of his head to have caught every guilty man. From now on, the game had more of an edge to it. Kilmarnock's players, coaches and supporters felt Rooney should have been punished for going in hard on goalkeeper Jamie MacDonald. He was late and did catch him with his shoulder. The Irishman wasn't booked then, but did go in McLean's book before the break for a loose word. Aberdeen were starting to get on top. Shea Logan's low cross in 34 minutes almost reached Andrew Considine for a tap-in, and in the aftermath Kenny McLean put his foot through a shot which sent the ball inches wide of the post. And then, from a McGinn corner, Scott McKenna hooked a shot over both his shoulder and the crossbar. For two footballing teams, there were a lot of high and long balls, and players developed the habit of running into teammates. The second half did eventually produce a shot on target after 65 minutes, when Kilmarnock's Jordan Jones did well to keep his volley low and with some power, albeit Aberdeen keeper Freddie Woodman was always going to make the save. Kilmarnock right-back Stephen O'Donnell was having a stormer, and it would have been fitting his superbly executed left-foot shot with 15 minutes to go had won the tie, but Woodman pulled off a fine stop. 
Aberdeen went close four minutes later when Ryan Christie's free kick hit the ball and his second effort whizzed past the post. However, extra time was an inevitability. In saying that, Kilmarnock needed five minutes of it to score. Jones's high cross field ball got Shea Logan in a kerfuffle and his attempt to make contact succeeded only in falling over Eamon Brophy. The striker was then through on Woodman and instead of shooting slid a pass to O'Donnell who got his goal in the end. It wasn't to prove the winner. With 102 minutes gone, Kilmarnock defender Stuart Findlay put his arms around Stevie May. It was a penalty and Kenny McLean made no mistake from 12 yards. McLean was so close to a second within minutes when his shot from outside the box rattled the bar. Killy had a goal disallowed, McLean went close again and with minutes left, Kilmarnock keeper McDonnell made a stunning save to keep out Chidi Norcali's equally stunning effort. But it went to penalties and in the end for Aberdeen. Kilmarnock McDonald, O'Donnell, Broadfoot, Findlay, Taylor, Dicker, Power, Chibola 105, McKenzie, Brophy 70, Malumbu, Kilty 115, Jones, Chris Boyd, Erwin 90. Substitutes not used, Fasan, Simpson, Scott Boyd. Aberdeen, Woodman, Logan, O'Connor, McKenna, Considine, McLean, Shinney, McGinn, Christie, Macaulay, 88, Mackay Stephen, May, 65, Rooney, Stewart, 76. Substitutes not used, Nocali, Reynolds, Arnason, Ball, Rogers. Referee was Stephen McLean. The attendance, 8,998. This article was by Neil Cameron. The Evening Times, on Wednesday, the 14th of March, 2018. Sports section. Scotland hero James McFadden retires from playing to focus on the new role as coach within the national team. This article by Chief Football Writer Matthew Lindsay. James McFadden has retired from playing to devote himself fully to his new role as a Scotland coach and helping the national team qualify for the finals of a major tournament. McFadden was released by Queen of the South in January and had been contacted by clubs from Australia, Germany and the United States after he admitted he would like to play abroad. However, the 34-year-old, who won 48 caps and scored 15 goals for his country, is to hang up his boots and concentrate fully on coaching after receiving a call from Alex McLeish. The forward, who is best remembered by the Tartan Army for his long-range goal in the 1-0 triumph over France in Paris back in 2007, believes he has to concentrate on coaching. It's massively exciting, he said. It came out of the blue, but I couldn't say no. Everyone knows what it meant for me to play for Scotland. I'm not going to do that again, so for me, this is the next best thing. I couldn't be happier, or more proud. It feels good to be back involved in the setup. Putting the tracksuit on, I'm walking about like I'm on cloud nine. I'm really looking forward to it. Alex texted me a couple of days before he was announced. I didn't even know he was in talks at the time, but he texted me and asked whether I would be interested if he did get the job. Absolutely, was the answer. I was still concentrating on getting fit and trying to find a team to play, so it was absolutely out of the blue. I didn't have any thoughts that I might be involved if the gaffer got the job, but I'm absolutely delighted that he asked. McFadden added, I don't think it's feasible for me to play on. Although this is not a full-time role, I will need to be watching games and players. That might also mean going through and watching boys training in that environment. I need to give this job everything I've got, because it's so important for me. I need to be there for the manager. It's probably the perfect timing for me. There are not many better jobs going about, and I couldn't be happier. This is the path I'm going down now, and I'll take it as far as I can. 
I'll still have a kick around. That will never leave me. My love for the game will never go. I just need to concentrate on my job, and I can't wait to get started. This article was by Chief Football Writer Matthew Lindsay. The Evening Times, on Friday, the 9th of March 2018. Sports Section. The Old Firm. Criminal probe launched as sectarian flyer showing abuse against Fenians surfaces before match. This article from the Evening Times Online. A criminal investigation is underway after a sectarian flyer surfaced online days before the Old Firm match, urging Rangers supporters to march, quote, before this Sunday's match against the Fenians. Police are now appealing to fans not to attend it. The flyer surfaced on Facebook this week. It shows a silhouette image of someone wearing a green and white hooped jersey being kicked in the head while on the ground, surrounded by text reading, Good night, green, white. It adds, The Union Bears have organised a fans' march to Ibrox before Sunday's game against the Fenians. The march will leave the Kinning Park Loudoun Tavern at 10.45am. Wearing dark-coloured clothing is encouraged. Please pass this on to fellow Rangers supporters. UB07. The advert was posted online on Tuesday by the Union Bears page and has received almost 1,000 shares. Celtic fan pages have since called for Police Scotland to take action against the Union Bears, with a statement from the Celts Are Here blog saying, The time to act on this is now, when the incitement is so explicit as it is with the Union Bears poster. Waiting until after the called-for assaults have taken place is not an option. There's no place for this in football and there is no place for this in Scotland. Match Commander Superintendent Alan Murray revealed Police Scotland is now looking into the controversial flyer. He said, We are aware of a planned fans' march on Sunday and we'd urge supporters not to join in. Large groups of fans moving together can cause problems and I'm asking fans to make their way to the ground as normal. We are aware of the content of the advert connected to the march, which permission has not been granted for. A criminal investigation has been launched into the wording and logo of the advert, he added, reports the Scottish Sun. This article was from the Evening Times Online. The Evening Times, on Thursday the 15th of March 2018. Sports section. Former Celtic defender believes win over Ibrox will further demoralise Rangers. This article by Alison McConnell. Former Celtic defender Tom Boyd believes that the psychological impact of the Parkhead side's win at Ibrox on Sunday afternoon will linger in the minds of Rangers ahead of next month's William Hill Scottish Cup semi-final. Boyd, Celtic captain when the club won the treble under Martin O'Neill in 2001, was a mainstay of the Hoops side who suffered repeatedly at the hands of the Rangers throughout the 1990s. Brendan Rodgers has yet to taste defeat to the Ibrox side, having won seven games against Rangers and drawn two, and the effect of that is not to be underestimated, according to Boyd, who lived through the opposite experience. It demoralises you, and that most recent defeat will certainly lower their spirits because they've been getting results and scoring goals for fun, but the thing for me at Ibrox was that neither defence played to their capability. There were a lot of opportunities created, and Rangers in particular were exposed, and the quality of Celtic's finishes highlighted that. There have been a few good victories at Ibrox for Celtic recently. The 5-1 was special, obviously, but grinding it out like that with 10 men is one that will be remembered for a long time. For them to have done what they did last month requires discipline and organisation as well as talent, and that's what Celtic had. Harking back to the 1990s, Rangers were on top and had all these international and world-class players. 
Celtic have that now, and it's the extra quality they have, as well as a top-top manager, which makes the difference. Rangers also have a very inexperienced man in charge, compared to Brendan. There's been a received narrative that Rangers talked up their chances in the build-up to Sunday's game, which is a little misplaced. The most noise ahead of the meeting came from former players rather than current ones, although it would be difficult to view the decision to make public the cheering that greeted the news of the cup draw as anything other than a case of foot in mouth. Whether it played into the hands of Celtic or not is irrelevant, but the hype in the lead-up to the game centred around that confidence and optimism, something that Boyd highlighted as evidence of the naivety within the Ibrox ranks. In addition to the demoralising aspect of the result was the manner in which it was achieved, and it's the manner in which Rangers allowed the game to ebb away from them that Boyd feels will have the biggest impact. It was as damaging a defeat as any at Ibrox for them, and there are a few reasons for that, observed Boyd. There was the cockiness from them beforehand, and the cheering which came from their dressing room after they'd been drawn against the champions in the semi-finals of the Scottish Cup. They'd been given some adulation after being in some wonderful games, and scoring a lot of goals against some lesser opposition, so they'd gone into the game with some confidence. Add to that they were playing in their own territory, they'd been in front twice, and Celtic had then gone down to ten men and still beaten them, which shows the commitment and the desire of Brendan's players. It'll be a big blow for them. I think that cheering at the draw is probably part of Graham Murty's learning curve as a manager. You don't ever give the opposition a motivational speech, and that's what he did. Not that Celtic needed it, right from the start they looked composed on the ball, but there was a level of cockiness and optimism about them, and it's proved to be unfounded. It was an excellent performance by Celtic. The team did their talking on the park with the quality they showed, especially the admirable way they coped with being reduced to ten men. Brendan made the latest in a series of the great tactical switches we've become used to during his time here, and once again the player coming on had an impact on the outcome. Celtic's bench at Ibrox underlined the resources available to the Parkhead side, and with the likes of Patrick Roberts and Stuart Armstrong. Odson Edouard is a great luxury to have on the bench, and Celtic's bench is only going to get stronger during the run-in because Stuart Armstrong, Patrick Roberts and Lee Griffiths are all coming back. It was a fantastic display. The boys did really well to dig deep and see it through. Tom Boyd was speaking at a press conference to announce the stage show Smell the Glove, a celebration of Wim Jansen's Celtics team, who stopped Rangers winning 10 in a row in 1997 and 1998. Dates have been confirmed for the Alhambra Theatre in Dunfermline and Greenock Town Hall. This article is by Alison McConnell. This weekly Talking Newspaper Digest was a Q&Review recording service production. The readers were volunteers at Q&Review and the producer was Jay Kidd. Q&Review Recording Service Limited is a registered charity. Scottish Charity Number SCO 18016. Our registered office is at 18 Crowhill Road, Bishop Briggs, Glasgow, G64 1QY. Remember, you can contact us via email at information at qandreview.com or via leaving a message on our answering service at 0141 772 3976. Please remember to return the cassette in the wallet provided. Just flip over the address label and post it.